Father God, as we were just singing those songs, we spoke about uh, a crushing. We spoke about uh, how that crushing led to something new, something different. Father, I'm sure as we sit in this room, I'm sure that there uh, are those at the moment that are experiencing something similar to that. They're experiencing some shape or form of feeling like they are being squashed, crushed, pressed. Like what was is being taken and what will be is going to come later. Father, as Jesus spoke to his disciples as he was trying to prepare them for when he would die, he was trying to prepare them for something new. He told them to remember that there's a place and in that place there are many rooms and in that place Jesus is going to be the one that prepares a place for us. Lord, for my brothers and sisters today, whoever is experiencing a squashing, a crushing, whoever is experiencing a struggle, I pray that we remember and we know that there is new wine that can come as a result and that we are not going through the struggle alone. We're not by ourselves. There is a place for us to go. Lord, you know the hearts, you know the places, you know the experiences, you know the circumstances of everybody in this room and and everybody who's represented in this room. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will be present that you will comfort and that we will know that you are here in the midst of our joy and in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our new wine and in the midst of the crushing that takes place beforehand. Go with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've got, um, <clears throat> we've got our Christmas Eve festival coming up and uh, I'm very keen for us to sign our names on the back table. There's a, a, a grey table up the back there and there is a heap of sheets on that table and there are a lot of uh, opportunities, I'm not saying jobs, but there are a lot of opportunities for you to serve. Does that sound good? I couldn't hear you. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, so it's a good opportunity for us because there's a bunch of um, local people that walk here and come in our car park and have fun and have a sausage and have all sorts of good times and they interact with us and then they come in here and we have the privilege of singing carols and sharing the Christmas story and doing a drama and having fun together. Is that what we're all about? It's brilliant. So in order for us to do that well, we need you to help. Uh, if you can help, there's a whole heap of opportunities on the backboard. If you're not great at it, don't worry. We can help you. There are people who can help you with skills and all that sort of stuff. Um, we will help set it up so you can't fail because uh, we want you to have a good time. So this year we're going to have like a petting zoo with farm animals. Does that sound good? Yeah. As long as I don't have to clean up afterwards. We're having a coffee van this year. Does that sound good? Having some other stuff. Wendy got some funding grants so we can do all sorts of cool things this year. So up the back table, please feel free to fill in your name. And uh, we would love to get all those slots uh, sorted out as quickly as we can. So did everyone deliver their pamphlets? (laughs) Good, 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 church. 
Um, so please feel free, hop up the back. There's face painting, juggling balls, set up, clean up, sweep in the car park, helping with food preparation. See Carol Bazant for that. She can help you there. Um, so there's all sorts of things that you can do, uh, all sorts of areas where you can serve. So that's a, a good thing and we're looking forward to that. Uh, so today is the last day that we're going to have Vicky with us. And Vicky's uh, from Kenya. She's been over studying and so she finishes today. So it's good to see you, Vicky. We hope that you have a great uh, trip back to Kenya and that you take the things that you learnt here and do some uh, good over uh, where you're from. hope that there's some real profound uh, implications from the learning that you've been able to do here. So um, we'll pray for you and then we're going to uh, kick into Matthew chapter 2. Let's pray. Lord, we pray, for, uh, we pray for our church. We pray for the fact that we're able to and we're, we're capable of being able to welcome our community in and we're able to bless them, look after them, treat them well, uh, that they can come in and experience Bentley Baptist Church as a, a place to, to have some fun, a place to laugh, a place where people care about you. Uh, and that is driven because Jesus cares about us. Lord, as Vicky's come into our church, she's come from Kenya and she's made some friends and, and she's been learning and, and I pray and ask that uh, what she's learnt here, uh, not only from university but also from Bentley Baptist, will be something that is transformational in her home. And uh, Lord, I pray and ask that she can follow and keep, we can keep in contact with her uh, and see how things go for her. Lord, bless us as we step into uh, our Advent series, as we look at the least of these, and uh, as we have a look in the book of Matthew. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Okay, Church, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13. Uh, It's going to be up on the screen, but feel free to flick to it and follow as you would like to on your devices or your Bibles. Um, so we're talking about the escape to Egypt. This is the, the story when uh, Jesus is a little baby and he's moved, he's taken away because there's a threat. And the threat comes from this guy. This guy's name is King Herod or Herod the Great. Um, and he is a perplexing man. Uh, that's a, a picture of him as a young man, a sculpture of him as a young man. And that's a drawing apparently of what they said that he looked like as an older guy. So Herod's descended from a group of people called the Edomites, uh, and they are descended from Esau. So Esau and Jacob, back in the Old Old Testament, um, he sold his birthright. Esau sold his birthright for something to eat to Jacob. And so he went off and founded his own place, and the Edomites come from Esau. And Herod is an Edomite. And the Edomites had this mass conversion to Judaism and sort of him and his family came in. And as they did, they were leaders amongst the Edomite people as they made their way into the the sort of like Israelite culture and became entrenched in that culture. The Herods also were leaders amongst the people. Everywhere I could see in history where it spoke about the Herods and his family and his descendants, it always said they they were all ambitious men. All of them were ambitious men. In all of the phrasing for all of these guys, all of them had that beside them. So they are obviously a group of of men who desired power, who desired to lead, who thought they had something to bring to their their community and they did whatever they needed to do or whatever they perceived that they needed to do in order to cement power. And that's what Herod did. If there's one thing that epitomizes him above everything else, it's his political savvy. His ability to read the room and his ability to align himself with whoever is the most powerful in the worldwide stage. And for him, that was Rome. So Herod started to work out that Rome was going to be a superpower. Rome was going to be big. 
And uh, there was a man by the name of Mark Anthony. Do we all know who he is? Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. Do you remember that movie? I mean, that part of history. So Herod aligns himself with Mark Anthony, Cleopatra, and they're going to try and take over Octavian, who's the, the, the ruler at the time. And, and Herod's aligned himself and they're best mates and he supports this bid. But as things go on and as Mark Anthony loses and all that goes on with him and Cleopatra, Herod flips. And he goes over to Octavian and he says, you and I are in this thing together. And he's able to sweet talk and swoon his way into Octavian's good graces. And Octavian supports him and endorses him and they become friends. Octavian becomes Caesar Augustus and he is the one that, that ends the Republic of Rome and begins the, the Empire of Rome. And so King Herod had worked his magic along with Augustus and now Augustus supports him. And so now we've got this little man called Herod who is now been given this term and this role, King of the Jews. He's become the king. And he has now got the full might and weight and power of Rome behind him. Herod was a brilliant politician. Incredibly savvy, incredibly smart. So Herod was also absolutely insecure in levels that is unbelievable. Herod wanted to hold on to his power. He absolutely desired to make sure that no one could take it from him. To the point where he killed many, many, many people. Uh, he killed three of his sons. Three of his sons he killed. He killed his most favorite wife, the one that he wrote, I love her more than anyone else. Killed her because he feared that she could one day be more popular than him. Herod killed his last son five days before his own death. So five days before he died, he killed his latest son because he feared that his son could usurp his throne. Herod was absolutely on a scale of ruthless that, that is hard to understand, that's hard to wrap our head around. Herod was also a brilliant leader. He built incredible structures. He built a temple. He invested huge amounts of money in public uh, education. He invested money in public arts. He invested money in public services. Israel, in one sense, was in the best place it had ever been. It was large. It was powerful. It was strong. It was aligned with Rome. And he had done this good stuff. But he was also ruthless. He was so ruthless that the, the Roman Caesar, Augustus, said that I would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. I would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. So that's the man who hears about this prophecy. Hears about these words that there's this Messiah coming. And, and when this Messiah comes, he's going to liberate and free us from whoever is oppressing us. The people of the day believe that to be Rome. Now, if Israel's freed of Rome, who's, who loses their power? Who loses their power? Our boy Herod, doesn't he? Because Herod's got his power because Rome is behind him. So any threat to Rome is a threat to Herod. And he hears this prophecy that there's this magical, that there's this powerful spiritual guy who's going to come and free them. He's going to relieve him of his kingship, remove Rome. And so Herod is absolutely determined to alleviate, to take out, to remove this threat that's going to be to his power. That's our setup. This is our story. Here we go. Matthew chapter 2, 13 to 18. 
When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you Herod is going to search for the, ch- uh, search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and a great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they all because they are no more. So this this story it it's sort of a part of Christmas. We we hear about Christmas, we know about Christmas because Jesus came, we give gifts and presents to celebrate the gift that was Christ, the gift of God to humanity. In that story is this underpinning, is this megalomaniac, this man who is so driven by his fear and his insecurity that he is willing to execute children to try and sweep through the nation, to try and sweep through the town, to try and alleviate what he thinks is the possibility of a threat to his power. That's Herod. That's evil. And when evil meets Jesus, when evil meets love, when fear meets love, fear tries to do what it always tries to do and take it out and kill it and destroy it. Because fear and love don't go hand in hand. You don't love well when you're frightened. You don't love at all when you're scared. You're only worried about yourself. So for Herod, there are all sorts of discussions about how big this is. How, was this a, a full-on thing? Was this a small thing? Um, I found information, some saying 3,000 children were killed, others said 14. And I found some that said up to 64,000 children were killed uh, as a result. Uh, Professor William Albright, <coughs> the Dean of Archaeology in the Holy Land, estimates that the population of Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth was about 300 people. This is what he thinks. And he thinks that the number of male children two years or younger would have been about six or seven so whether it's six or seven or whether it's 64,000, it's still an unthinkable thing. And what it does tell us is it tells us the mindset of Herod. It tells us the mindset of fear and it tells us the mindset of power. And then we see this little tiny baby born into this situation. This is a, uh, a picture. I really like this picture. Uh, this is a picture by a man called Henry Tanner. And he was the first uh, African-American artist who gained international reputation with his paintings. And this is one of the ones that led him to be known uh, outside of America. And it's his depiction of Mary and Joseph and Jesus fleeing and heading to Egypt. We don't know exactly how many children died. We don't know exactly what was going on. What we do know is that Joseph was frightened. 
We know that Joseph heard from God, Joseph heard from an angel, and he believed the threat was credible enough for him to take everything he had, for him to take his new wife. Remember, she's probably anywhere between 12 and 15 years old, so she is so young. And we know that Joseph was an older man. So we see this older man and this teenage girl with this tiny little baby, which Joseph knows is not his biological child. And we see them take everything they have from the place where they know people and they head off. We call that seeking asylum in, modern, in our modern language. Joseph believed God had spoken to him. He believed the threat of Herod was real, was credible. Herod's history proved that he was capable and able and willing to do what it was that he was doing. And God had spoken to Joseph and Joseph made that decision to flee, to leave everything he knew and everyone he knew, to gather what they had and to get out while they still could. Jesus was an asylum seeker. Jesus was a refugee. Think about that for just a moment. Think about the enormity of God. We did creation series a little while ago called Origins. and We just sort of tried to begin to wrap our head around creation and what it was. And this God who brought order from disorder. This God who brought order from nothingness and created us and humanity. This God is now a tiny little baby. And this baby is vulnerable. It's vulnerable to a king that wants to kill him. He's vulnerable to a people all around who don't know what's going on. And now he's vulnerable as he, as he gets hold of, as he's held by his mother and as they head off to another nation. God is in the hands of these people. Think about that for a moment. God is in the hands of an old carpenter and a teenage woman, teenage girl. And he's trusting, God is trusting that these people will do the right thing. It's pretty amazing when you think about it, isn't it? Because sometimes we need to stay and fight. Sometimes we need to run. But you've got to have somewhere to go, don't you? Sometimes you need to fight, sometimes you need to run. But you've got to have somewhere to go. And we're just lucky We're blessed that Egypt opened its borders. Because just imagine what would have happened if they had have made their way to Egypt and they got there and they said, sorry, but we're not going to let you come in. Where do they go then? What do they do then? Because if they turn around and go home, we know that there's death awaiting. We know that there's genocide awaiting. We know that there's persecution that's there. They are at the, the, the mercy of the borders of Egypt. Sometimes we have to fight. Sometimes you have to stand your ground. Sometimes you have to step into conflict. Sometimes you have to just brace yourself and weather the storm. There are other times when the best thing to do is get out. There are other times when we need to see the conflict. We assess. Maybe we hear from God. Maybe we sort of work out that this is not a fight that we can win. And so we move. We run. But we just have to have somewhere to go. We need to have somewhere to go. Whether that's a friend's place, whether that's another country, whether that's another place, there are times when we just have to get out and there are times when we have to go. 
This is a picture of, uh, it's in Bangladesh, and this is going to be the world's biggest refugee camp. So there are 800,000 Rohingya Muslims who are fleeing Myanmar or fleeing Burma, and they are making their way across the border to the only safe place they can get to, which is Bangladesh. There's going to be 800,000 Rohingya Muslims that are making their way to Bangladesh. Now, Bangladesh has not got the strongest economy. Bangladesh has not got the greatest record of human rights. But for the Rohingya Muslims at this point in time, the only safe place they can go is Bangladesh. And do you know what? Bangladesh, with all of its struggles, is opening its doors and saying, you need to run. The threat is real. You have a place here. Isn't that staggering? Staggering. That's going to be the biggest refugee camp in the world. There's a place called Yemen. I don't know if you've heard about this, but I've been doing a little bit of reading about Yemen. And there is a war going on in Yemen that is horrendous. It's absolutely horrendous. The, the journalists that can get in there are saying that, that they believe it's the, the most uh, destructive human rights crisis in modern history. What's going on in Yemen? There are a lot of people who are getting killed. There, are, there is famine going on in Yemen, the likes of which we've not seen before, on a scale of which we've not seen before. And the, the powers that be all around uh, are not allowing humanitarian aid to get in and give aid to these children. And there are just enormous numbers of children that are dying of starvation and malnutrition. Sometimes you have to fight Sometimes you have to run, but you need to have somewhere to go. You need to have somewhere to go. And this one's going to hurt us a little bit. Because this is Australia, and we're a place that's big. There's a little place called Nauru. Nauru is a little tiny island. It's 21 square kilometers, the size of Melbourne International Airport. Back in the glory days in the 60s and 70s, Nauru discovered that they had phosphate on their island and so they mined everywhere. And they mined and they turned the phosphate into fertilizer and Nauru was wealthy. They were exceptionally wealthy. Nauru was a great place to live. Through corruption and poor leadership, now Nauru is struggling. They don't have very much money at all. They've strip mined their whole island, which is only very small. And so now all the land that they could farm and, and grow things is now basically useless. In a place of desperation, the Australian government went to Nauru and said, uh, we want to stop the boats. Do you remember that? We want to stop the boats. And so they said, we want to not allow anybody who would come to Australia uh, illegally. Uh, we're not going to allow them on. And so they set up this uh, processing center in Nauru. So people are intercepted and they're taken out to Nauru. Um, It's hard to think about, isn't it? Because there's fear there. There's fear there for us about what could happen. There's fear there about what we might miss out on. There's fear there about what we might lose. There's a fear about what will happen to our culture. But sometimes you have to fight. Sometimes you have to run. But you need somewhere to go. You need somewhere to go. And for us, Nauru has been the place where we've sent a lot of people. The sad thing for us is we are sending... Uh, families and children to Nauru. There is one little boy on Nauru who's under 10 years old who's attempted suicide, serious suicide, 
three times. It's under 10 years old. He's attempted suicide three times because the hopelessness and the despair that he's experiencing living there. The rates of self-harm for the children are off the scales. They don't know what to do with the despair that they're experiencing living in that place. Sometimes you've got to fight. Sometimes you have to run, but you need somewhere to go. You need somewhere to go. Um, I speak about these things because our series is for the least of these. We want to highlight the plight of the vulnerable. And we want to highlight what we believe Scripture tells us, which is those who can, our responsibility, our responsibility is to care for the least of these. And God tells us when we do that, we are blessed and they are blessed. I want to speak about these things because Jesus was in this position of being hunted down and killed because of nothing to do with other than one man's insecurity and who he was. So many people flee and they don't make that decision lightly. They don't make that decision lightly. They need somewhere to go. They need somewhere to go. And if Egypt had to turn Jesus away all those years ago, I wonder what would have happened. If Egypt hadn't given him a place to hide, to stay until the threat was gone and then he could head home, then maybe things might have been different. Who knows? I'm sure God would have intervened. But he, God, Jesus needed the grace of another country to open itself up. And I think for us as a, as a nation, as a culture, we need to be thinking a little more about that. And the idea is not that you, you open floodgates and say everybody, but I guess the, the idea is, is that we be a little more gracious and a little more loving in the way that we process people and the way that we assess people who are fleeing from harm. Because if nobody did that for Jesus, what would we be celebrating? If nobody opened up their borders and allowed him a place to, to hide, to stay safe uh, until the threat was over and then he could go home, then what would we be celebrating? What would we be celebrating? Sometimes you have to fight. Sometimes you have to run. But you always need somewhere to go. In terms of what that means on a, on a bigger, on a global scale, we've spoken about those who are seeking uh, asylum, those who are seeking safety. But also, when you kind of start to boil that down a little bit, I think there's a lot to be said in the Bible about making decisions that allow us to have somewhere to go, to allow us to be able to retreat. And as we prepare... For communion, I'll just read to you that little scripture from John 14 again. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am you know the way uh, you know the way to the place where I am going I did some reading on this and a man by the name of Keck he's a theologian he said probably one of the most misunderstood uh, aspects of this scripture is where Jesus speaks about going away to prepare a place we automatically think of it as being heaven 
And Keck says, we've completely misunderstood what that means. What Jesus is saying is to go and prepare a place. He wants them to start to wrap their head around the idea that God is not out there, that God is not in the temple, that God is not a place that we go to, but God has become part of us. God has made his home in us. And just as Jesus went away to pray, just as Jesus went away to hear the Spirit and experience the Spirit before he had big things to do, that's what he's trying to communicate the message to his disciples. The place where you go, where the heaven is going to happen is inside of you, inside your heart, inside your spirit. And he's saying to them, I want you to learn that the place where you can go is communion with God is fellowship with God and that can happen wherever you are whatever you're doing so we've been speaking about uh, having a place sort of fighting running and having a place to go I'd like us to think about as we take communion we go and collect that communion in just a minute if you are going through struggle if you are going through hard time the place for you to go might be away. You might need to flee. You might need to get out of your home. You might need to get out of your job. I don't know. That might be a reality. But the place we can go is fellowshipping with God and that can happen wherever we are. Because Jesus has gone ahead of us. He's made a place and he's saying to us, I want you to go where I am. I want you to experience God the way I do. We can do that together. So please feel free to, uh, to stand up. I'd like you to stand up and head over and grab some communion uh, and then bring it back to your seat. We'll pray. If you're not able to move, just ask your neighbor and they can grab you some communion and bring it back. Hold on to your elements and then we will take them together. Please feel free. As we hold our elements, as we hold the, the symbol, the metaphor, the remembering that Jesus wanted us to do as we held these things to remember that He came, that He loved us, that He made a way for us to step through sin and into fellowship with God. I'll just read those words again. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. If you have struggles, if you're going through something that is difficult, if you feel like you are in need of a rescue, in need of a flee, Just remember these words. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. I will come back and take you to be with me. Sometimes you need to fight. Sometimes you need to run. But Jesus has given us a place to go. Let's take our communion together.